This is Tristan Schoen from Author and Punisher. You are listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the new scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with another brand new episode. And on the show this week, we've got a big one for you. We have Justin Chancellor of Tool. Tool needs no introduction. They're legendary, just legendary. And Justin's other band, MT Void, has just put out a new album. It's called Matters Not Part One. It's excellent. He's excellent. And this conversation is excellent. We cover everything some tool history, their creative process, their practice space. There's some interesting stories behind that, the lead up to their latest album, Fear Inoculum. And of course, we hear all about MT Void and their history and their latest LP. This is a great, great conversation. And that's coming up shortly. But first, Here's how you can support The New Scene. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. Follow us on Twitch at The New Scene. Shirts. We have a selection of shirts at our store at Deathwish Inc. There's a long sleeve option and short sleeve options. Pick up a shirt. It's a great way to support the show. Reviews. Give us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We are on the push to 200 Apple Podcast reviews. So please open up your podcast app, search the new scene, scroll down, hit that five star button, and write a review. If you write a review, I'll read it on the air during the new scene community hour at the end of the show. We're at 157. We've got to get to 200. It's an easy way to support the show. So if you have not reviewed yet, please do so. Also, you can always email me at newscenepod at iodinerecords.com. Also, don't forget to support Iodine Recordings. Horsewhip have a gig coming up with Jillian Carter at Will's Pub. That's on December 15th. And this show is celebrating the 18th anniversary of Jillian Carter, who, by the way, are an excellent band. We played with them. I think it was at Will's Pub back in June with the Darling Fire when we were on tour with Spotlights. Jillian Carter is awesome. Horsewhip are awesome. So if you live in Orlando, go to the show. Also, Horsewhip's new LP, Consume and Burn, is out now. Pick up a copy and check it out. It's a great record. The Iron Roses have tour dates in Europe this month in December with Shoreline. Check out their Instagram for a full list of dates. Jerome's Dream have East Coast tour dates in February Check out their page for a full list of dates. I'll be at the St. Vitus gig for sure. And Best X have two upcoming gigs. December 10th at Heaven Can Wait in New York City. And December 16th in Providence, Rhode Island at Alchemy. Also, don't forget to support our sponsor for the month of December. Our sponsor is almost as mind-blowing as Justin Chancellor being on this show. Our sponsor is Bridge Nine Records. That's right, 
Bridge Nine Records is back to sponsor the new scene for the month of December. And here's some updates. Bridge Nine have posted a Deep Cuts staff playlist on Spotify. If you want to hear what the Bridge Nine staff has been listening to, check out this finely curated playlist. There's a link to the Spotify playlist in the Bridge Nine Instagram. Incendiary Device have also put together a Spotify playlist, and there's also a link to that in the Bridge Nine Instagram. Sign up for Bridge Nine's email list. You'll get information about new releases, exclusive in-store shows and events, and promotions that go out to their email subscribers regularly. And don't forget, you get 20% off for the entire month of December in the Bridge Nine store when you use code NEWSCENEPOD at checkout. So if you're buying something for yourself or picking up some holiday gifts, now is the time. 20% off with code NEWSCENEPOD. And don't forget to stop by the Bridge Nine Record Store at 282 Rantoul Street in Beverly, Massachusetts. It's open every Wednesday through Sunday, starting at 11 a.m. And when you go to the store, you may even see Chris Wren himself behind the register. And you can ask him if he thinks that real emo only consists of the DC emotional hardcore scene and the late 90s screamo scene, and if what we know as Midwest emo is in fact nothing but alternative rock with questionable real emo influence. For more information, head to bridgethenumber9.com and follow the Bridge9 Instagram at Bridge9. That's Bridge N-I-N-E. Okay. So listen, check back in with me in segment three after the blockbuster interview with Justin. There's plenty to catch up on. I saw the great spotlights this past weekend at the Mercury Lounge in New York City. We'll talk about that. My new band recorded some songs. Hmm, That's exciting. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about everything. But right now, we are going to speak to Justin Chancellor of Tool and MT Void. Enjoy. Right. We are here now with Justin Chancellor. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Keith. Yes, Justin, it's wonderful to have you here. You know, there's a lot going on with you. MT Void just put out an excellent new record, Matters Not Part One. You've carved out quite a legacy for yourself in Tool, and you have a massive fan base with that band. You're doing it all, Justin, and we're going to cover all that. But first, I want to ask you, how are you doing? today you know what i'm doing very well i'm in boston uh i'd slept all day we arrived about four in the morning and uh we played last night in unkersville 
I believe it's in Connecticut. Um, we did two shows at the Mohegan Sun Arena uh, for Tool, and we drove to Boston after the show. So I had a sleepy day, but I just went out, walked around Boston as it's getting dark. It's all Christmassy and uh, you know, nice and cold. Very different from California, where I where I reside. Um, so I'm doing good. I'm doing good, and now I'm just here to chat with you. Excellent. So you're out with Tool right now. That's correct. Yeah, we've actually uh, we've been out for about six weeks. Um, we have about twelve days left. Uh, we've done about twenty shows, something like that. Um, I think we have about five or six left. Um, yeah, and then we'll, we'll be home for Thanksgiving, basically, for a Christmas break. Oh, nice! And then back out after that. Yeah, then we start again on uh, uh, in January on the eighth or ninth or something. Um, we're doing another twenty-five shows, I think. Um, we're just trying to cover a bunch of places that we we didn't go on our new album. Obviously, when the pandemic hit, we were we were just about to do a big American tour. I think we managed to do about three shows before we were all sent home. So. Uh, you know, after a few years of, of, of having to be at home, we, we're hitting it hard. We've done one round and uh, we're, we're trying to hit the sort of uh, all the all the smaller, you know, well, not the smaller areas, but like just go in between the cracks, you know, and just try and hit everywhere. So, uh, we're, yeah, we're doing our rounds. It's got to feel good to be out and doing it as much as you want now, right? Because like you said, pandemic hits, everything gets shut down, and we were just riding the excitement of Fear Inoculum, the first album in 13 years, right? So it must have been difficult just having everything shut down, but also great now being out there and really doing it. Yeah, I mean, uh, you hit the nail on the head. We really, you know, we were so excited to release our record. And then uh, I believe we were in uh, Australia, New Zealand. We managed to go down there. And then we came back and started to do America. And it was only maybe four or five days and then we went home it was incredibly frustrating you know just having waited all that time to get our get our record done and released and all the artwork and stuff and to to, to get shut down from the touring situation was was awful really so uh yeah what now that that's all behind us um it's incredible to to just really lap it up and, and go for it for you know 100 percent um, we've been uh, we've been really loving it. Um, you know, it's a little you forget how tiring it is to go <laughs> go hard every day. You know, but um, as soon as you know you get on the stage and all those people are standing there staring at you with smiles on their faces, everything is good in the world. You know, so it's a real joy to be out there. I love it. I love it. And you, it sounds like you still love it. The lifestyle touring, do you love still being out there and doing it? Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a roller coaster, you know, but once you're, once you're going, it's a real, uh, you know, it's just a juggernaut. You just keep, you just keep your foot, your next foot forward and, uh, time passes pretty quickly, but you're, you're all over the place. You're, you know, you're, you're moving around a lot. You're traveling a lot. You're tired a lot. But like I said, like every, the payoff is every night when you walk out on the stage and people are just so excited to hear you perform your music and suddenly you you know you're just lifted elevated and uh 
it's kind of transcendent, you know. Uh, you know, you you forget that you're tired. You forget where you are. You're just in the moment, and uh, you just it, it's a, it's a real celebration of life, to be honest. That's amazing. That's amazing. I read the, that before the gig, you're all amped up, right? So you'll do laps up and down the arena hallways before you play. Is that <laughs> is that true? Well, it used to be. I'm a little more <laughs> relaxed these days, but yeah, I used to I used to sprint up and down the, the, the hallway just to get my adrenaline going, um, which is, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a roll of the dice. If you go too hard, it's an incredible thing. When you, you know, you try and get prepared for the rush that you get when you stand on the stage and now you're like, okay, here we go. We're actually performing now. And if you, uh, if you warm up too much, it almost seems like everything's slow uh, you know, you, you get your blood pumping too fast around your body, you're overprepared. And if you warm up not enough, you walk out and it's like you, you can't keep up, you know, like things seem too fast. So it's a real, uh, it's almost like better to, you know, have a, a meditative approach uh, where you're, you, you know, you're physically loose, um, you're prepared physically but you're also mentally aware of what's about to happen. <laughs> so uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky thing. The, the, the buildup is a very tricky thing. But once you're out there, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, it just starts and uh, you're in it. Right. It's a balancing act. Like, uh, just like you said, you don't want to go out there too loose or too warmed up. It, it, it's just a balancing act. I, I want to go out there mind clear you know, kind of hungry, right? I don't yeah. want to be too full from food that I ate earlier, or then maybe I'll be slow and sloppy. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to be too prepared. I don't want to be like too focused. It's a, it's the perfect balancing act to just make sure you go out there and you have fun and you're bringing it. I mean, you're exactly right. You know, you can't, you can never know how it's going to go down as well. And you, you, you must remember you're, you're uh, a fourth of, of a whole. So there's, yes. you know, there's three other people that you know lord only knows what's going on in their heads you know so they have their own preparation you have yours and then you're all suddenly there together on the stage and you're ready to commit and perform but uh yeah you can't really make it up and you don't know how it's going to go down you don't know how the crowd's going to be you don't know what's going to happen with your hands or, you know, the music or, or what Danny's making up tonight. You know, like he's, uh, <laughs> uh, So yeah, you just, yeah, you really have to be open-minded, but also prepared, you know, it's, it's a real, it's a real challenge, but it's, it's exciting and terrifying at the same time. You know? I heard you say before the album is never the end of the road for the composition in terms of tool songs. Uh -huh. So, and I think that's awesome. So it sounds like you guys are making changes even live sometimes. Is that true? Well, yeah. I mean, what I mean by that is, is as much as we prepare the songs before we record them, I mean, we do, we pretty much like figure them out in a live situation and we play them and play them and play them and change them and, you know, put all these details into them so that when we record them, they really are thought out. But, it doesn't compare to when you actually stand in front of an audience and play the songs together live and you, they start to have their own kind of uh, their own life. You know, they almost start to grow after the fact. Uh, so there's, you know, there'll be, there's the excitement of actually 
pulling them off, you know, and playing them really well and going, wow, that was amazing tonight. You know, and some, it's, it's quite hard. Some, some songs, when you first jump into them live, it's just a disaster. You know, they're very intricate, fragile, and um, it doesn't go well, you know, and uh, it's quite an awkward situation to be in. You know, you're very vulnerable. You're trying to pull this stuff off. But after a while, you start to figure out how, how it works and you figure out the tempos and you figure out the little complicated, you know, uh, transitions but you know for me on the on the bass or whatever uh i'm hitting pedals and stuff so you start to get more fluid with them um and then what happens is you get so comfortable that one night you're playing them and you suddenly realize oh i should have done that <laughs> you know i should have played it this way um uh, and and you you figure something out that it's elevated from what you did on the album you know and suddenly the whole situation becomes evolved and uh it becomes an amazing uh growth you know and, and a learning experience and it and it has uh, a life of its own you know that's the, each song kind of blossoms into something new um i think it just becomes better and better you know i i, I can't listen to i would rather play the songs live than listen to them on the album you know because there's so much potential there to to go further. Yeah, it's you know it's amazing to hear that even for you guys, you know, it's still the same process, right? Like the songs are new, we're out there, we add our little touches when we're playing them live, we get more comfortable with them and it, it just grows like you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's just a it's a it's an organic kind of uh living being uh once you're standing there, you know, letting it out of your of your body you know together all four of us so and and like i said earlier i mentioned danny making stuff up I, he literally is such an inspiration because he'll you know he's not satisfied just pulling it off he wants to challenge himself every night and he'll add stuff you know i'll be i'll be in the zone and i'll suddenly something will happen in my ears and i'm like what is going on and i'll just turn around <laughs> And he's grinning at me because he's just done something that I've never heard before. So, uh, yeah, it's really fun. It's really fun. I would imagine you guys are locked in enough at this point where he can throw you a curveball like that and you can catch it and uh, do your own thing and you're, you're still in sync there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he Danny has free reign. You know, me and Adam kind of hold it down pretty much. You know, I mean, if I, if I throw anyone a curveball, they all look at me with, shock and surprise you know they're like wow look at you you know <laughs> <laughs> most of the time i'm i'm uh yeah i'm just trying to hold it down and, and and stay in my lane you know but yeah danny's danny is the the creative one he just kind of lets it all hang out you know um and uh, you know don't forget we make him do it well we don't make him we all agree that he, he's gonna do a drum solo every night so i i always sit there behind him watch him when he does it because it's fascinating to me that he can actually have the balls to do that and just get up there on his own and make it up you know yeah that's funny to to hear that you're still in all too because he's like the drummer he's like one of the drummers when you hear people passionately talk about tool you always hear them talking about the drumming yeah i mean it's really a massive part of the character of the band you know i mean his uh he's just a very very uh mix of of influences and ideas and rhythms and i mean danny's 
he's he's a, a searcher you know he's always looking for something he's never satisfied with his own performance either so it's uh he sort of leads you know he captains the ship in a way uh, we just kind of we, we we just do what we're told and like let him go for it <laughs> <laughs> and yourself as well i mean you have uh one of the most recognizable bass sounds out there so when you first joined the band how long of a lead up is it until you and Danny are really locked in? And was it an instant connection? Talk about some of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason I'm in the band is that me and Danny had a, an instant connection. I, I flew out to LA for my, uh, you know, I, w- I went out there for a week to audition to see if, you know, they were trying out all kinds of different bass players from different bands. And um, they flew me out for, for one week. But the first night I got there, they took me out for dinner and we all just kind of hung out. Um, I think I probably had a little too much to drink because I was a bit nervous. And uh, <laughs> I ended up, you know, back at the loft, which we still use for all our writing and um, preparation for albums and rehearsing and stuff. Um, it's where it was Danny's original residence in Hollywood. I think he moved there in 1986 or something. But uh, so I was basically crashing on the floor at his place. And that first night, you know, after we'd all hung out and had, you know, food and drinks and stuff, I just, I looked at Danny and we, we were already quite good friends. You know, we, we, we got on really well, uh, previously to that. Um, and I just looked at him and I was like, can we go and jam right now? You know, and we went into the other room. I think we were hanging with a bunch of his pygmy love circus friends and, uh, they all left and me and Danny basically went in the other room and I was excited to see, you know, how it went to play with him and we basically started going through the songs they'd sent me to prepare and it was just so thrilling you know like both of us were like this is amazing and i think danny even said himself that that was the moment where he was satisfied that i could you know be the one that could could uh, you know fill that role um yeah we had we had a real chemistry you know i love that did you play that whole week yeah, I think we did like four or five days, um, and uh, a big part of it was that they wanted to know what I had to offer, you know. So I, I, I had uh, I had a bunch of ideas that I brought with me um, and played them stuff that I, you know, my, that was my own kind of compositions. Uh, Forty six and two riff was one of them, and uh, I actually spent a few nights with Adam working on stuff. Uh, and, uh, I think that was a big part of it. You know, they really wanted someone to be, uh, contributing someone to join the band that could play, but also, uh, create music, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that was a, that was a major factor in, in their decision was that, you know, they, they, they were excited about the ideas I had and, and, uh, and satisfied with, you know, with my ability to the extent that I could pull it off, you know. I mean, I wasn't. I, I couldn't believe it was happening to me. You know? I, was, I was just <laughs> like, you know, I'm not worthy, you know, because I was a massive, massive fan of their music anyway. So I was always, at the beginning, I was so excited to play any of their songs apart from anything that I had anything to do with, you know, because <laughs> I, I wasn't that confident in my own stuff, you know, but I already liked their music. So it was really fun. 
Yeah, in those situations, you just have to pretend everything is normal and everything is fine. <laughs> We're doing this. Yeah. It's okay. And I don't know about you, Justin, but my brain is always working against me. You know, I joined a band earlier this year and after the practices and the shows, my brain was like, you suck. You messed up. Yeah. You're going to be kicked out. It's going to be bad. And I just have to silence all of that and push forward. Like, how deep does that go for you? Or do you just yeah, have to play it cool and be like... Well, I'm very, it's very similar for me. I think it's just the artist's dilemma, isn't it? It's like, that's yeah. what, what creativity is, really. It's like, you're always unsatisfied in a way. It's always... The, the beauty is always slightly out of reach, and you're always trying to reach for it and grab it and hold it, and it doesn't like to be held. <laughs> it, keeps, <laughs> it keeps running away, you know. So yeah, I think <laughs> I agree with you. I think that's good. It keeps us hungry, right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, it's like I was saying about Danny. Never, you know, he's, he does his drum solo, and then we do. Um, it always makes me laugh because we do culling voices at the after it, which is a very intimate moment we all sit down and play guitar together even danny plays guitar and i play guitar um, oh nice uh adam wrote the part with three guitar parts so and maynard comes and sits with us we all sit at the front of the stage but basically i'm sitting there waiting for danny to finish you know winding his synthesizer down and he walks down the stairs and he sits down and he always like grins at me and goes like, ah, oh, that sucked. Or, or like he kind of, <laughs> you know, he has his own little assessment of what he'd just done and he's he's never quite satisfied, you know. Or, you know, sometimes he's like, ah, oh, that was pretty cool, you know. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a constant search. If you're not hungry like that, I mean, why are you, what are you doing it for? You know, it's like it's, uh, there's so much to reach for. There's so much potential uh, that, you know, it is it is frustrating if you can't find something, you know, or if you suck, you're like, oh, my God, what am I, you know, and I, I end up, you know, I, I give myself a hard time. I'll be like, I didn't sleep enough or, you know, I didn't have enough breakfast or uh, I, I'm not taking care of myself. And that's the reason. But actually, that's not really the reason. You know, sometimes it's just not there. And sometimes when you're absolutely withered, you do the most amazing things too. I mean, you can't really put a finger on it. You can't control it. You just got to ride it and and, uh, and and keep striving for it. You know, do the best you can. I think being humble about it and being, uh, you know, self-deprecating in a way is very healthy. Because uh, if you're just, if you think it's just great the whole time, it probably isn't. Yes, I say that all the time on this show. And look, you could be a dick about it if you wanted to, Justin, but you seem pretty humble about it. And I think that's where you need to be to continue to grow. Yeah, I mean, it's just the way, that's just the way I feel. I don't feel amazing or great at anything. I'm just, I just, I'm, I'm appreciative of having one of the greatest jobs in the world. <laughs> like, I just think every night, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I get to do this. Um, I'm really grateful. And uh, the more I do that, I just kind of can, can lap it up and, and be open to the potential more, you know, I mean, just looking at the faces smiling back at me last night, it was just like so inspiring and it makes me want to, want to keep doing it, you know, um, seeing that the, the, the joy, the circular kind of positive vibes going around. So yeah, I'd say uh, it's, it's not difficult to be hum i mean i i just I, I i'm still trying hard you know what i mean yeah yeah i i love it i i'm just imagining that i i have a smile on my face right now <laughs> good good <laughs>
So Tool has one of the most passionate fan bases out there. And we know that. You must know that. Have you ever seen any of the memes on Instagram? Those ever pop up in your feed? Uh, Like what? Oh, there's like, like someone will ask a guy like, hey, what song are you listening to? And he'll go into this long explanation and name every Tool song. And then he pulls like a golden spiral out of his pocket and like chases down the person <laughs> asking him the question. It's like, no, it's like stuff like that. I haven't seen that. No, I haven't. <laughs> I'm actually just getting, I'm starting to get up to speed with the Instagram and all that stuff with my empty void thing. Uh, yes. But uh, yeah, I, I don't spend too much time. Uh, watching that stuff it doesn't i always surprises me um you know my friends in england know everything that's going on and uh, i don't know how that works you know they they just get stuff popping up on their on their phone or whatever but yeah not not so much for me that's how it is social media keeps you locked in and you, you just find out everything but um you know and talking about the passion of the tool fan base you know uh, i myself have looked at a lot of this stuff and have heard uh, from a lot of people who love the band, you know, just uh, the theories behind the records and the the Fibonacci sequence and the number sequences. And, you know, if you rearrange these numbers, you get the true track listing for the album. And it, it just goes <laughs> very, it goes very, very deep. It's, it's yeah. very complex and very interesting. So I would imagine that you four putting the album together, like a lot of thought is going into it, but does it, does it, does it go as deep as all the fans discover? Well, I mean, you know, uh, that what you're talking about is it, it has a life of its own. Once you, once you release it out into the world, you know, and if you talk about it a little bit, people kind of take that and run with it. But yeah, we, we put um, a lot of thought and meaning into it. Um, I mean, we obviously we're, we're known for taking our time to, to compose stuff, but I mean, it, it really gets down to literally we have a, a, a whiteboard and markers and we have little names for each uh, section or each riff uh, and we, you know, you're constantly changing it each day and there's like numbers and all kinds of stuff up there. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're recording every day when we're writing. So we're all driving home with, well, it used to be CDs, you know, in the car listening to what we've done for four hours uh on the way home and then you know preparing ourselves for the next day you come up with a bunch of changes or ideas uh, to evolve the idea but i mean you know everyone the beauty of art is everyone can take it and run with it and, and be inspired to, to come up with something new so i think that's totally you know justified and legitimate that people have their own uh ideas of what's going on you know even if it's loosely based on on what we've talked about i mean like the fibonacci thing was was real i mean the the, the when I, I actually wrote the riff for lateralis and my idea was i want to write a riff that keeps getting suffocated you know it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and it's like falling in on itself so it ended up being a bar of nine and then a bar of eight, and then a bar of seven. And it's basically like trying to play the same thing in shorter amounts of beats, you know. Um, and then one day, a friend of ours that was, uh, you know, we, he was actually a fan, Ryan. Um, me and Danny, like, crank called him one night because uh, we were getting these crazy letters from this guy. And uh, and he ended up being, uh, you know, he ended up being a, a – becoming our friend basically he came to hollywood but we hung out with him 
and he's a really smart, crazy dude. And uh, so I think it was the following week after we'd started working on Lateralis, you know, we were all rocking that riff and it was, everyone was excited about it. We were like, you know, whatever it was. Um, the, the, the opening riff. And he walks in and he says, Justin, because I kept talking about this, how it's like a spiral. I want it to be like a spiral. It's like falling in on itself. It's closing in on itself. And he said, Justin, do you know that 987 is the 16th number of the Fibonacci sequence? <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? And, oh, wow. And he showed me. You know, he goes one, then one plus one is two, then two plus one is three, three plus two is five, five plus three is eight. And if you keep going 16 times, you get to 987. So that's that was a that's a real thing you know it just kind of happened that way and then uh you know maynard was we he was writing lyrics so it all kind of inspired the rest of it you know it all uh was was kind of uh syncopated in some crazy cosmic way you know um so that's the truth behind that i mean that was a real thing um but i don't you know it's not the whole song is not based on the fibonacci sequence that was just something that organically came to be you know i mean i guess you could describe stuff any way you want and make it conveniently work if you want you know but right but uh but that's 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 the story behind that one yeah do you ever read through any of the fan theories online and just say like oh that's right that's wrong nope that's off base not really i mean i've, I've watched some stuff where people are trying to play the music and that's what is really funny because <laughs> uh it's uh you know it's never it's never completely right. And there's people giving lessons about this is the way you do this and that. And uh, I'm like watching it going, no, 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 that's not the way you do it. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but the fan theories about the, I, I'm not so, it's just a, a wormhole that I'm not particularly interested in going down, you know, like when they're, when they're uh, making up, you know, their own theories about the lyrics or whatever, or the music. It's, uh, I mean, it's cool. I, I think it's, it's totally, like I said, it's legitimate and, and it's creative in its own way, but I, I don't spend too much time, you know, spending on that. Right. And, uh, the band, when you're writing, you still do it in the same room together in that room in Hollywood that you're talking about, right? Yeah, we do. We do. We've, um, I mean, literally the whole of the city has, uh, kind of changed around us they built apartment buildings next to us and uh we actually it used to be cecil b de mill's stable block that's a very it's a historic building um and he used to ha have his horses there back in wherever like you know i don't know how how long ago that was but long time ago uh, so it's an old brick building you know the, the landlord has never changed i don't think he's raised the rent um and uh, we've kind of like accumulated some more, some of the more uh, spaces in the building next to us for storage and that kind of thing. But basically, the same room where everything has been written is the same room, and we still go there. We've we've had to soundproof it a bunch and you know build it out. And Danny's bought uh, he bought Rick James's old API board, <laughs> and, uh, so he's got <laughs> he's got a nice. Uh, recording situation there as well which is more for his person you know he uses it for his other stuff um it's kind of uh it's it's beautiful board but it's got got quite a lot of uh 
you know, it has issues. <laughs> so when, <laughs> when we actually record our album, we go to, you know, somewhere where they've, where they've got everything kind of upkept and, and working correctly and nothing's hissing or making clicking noises and that kind of thing. But yeah, the same place is, uh, yeah, is where we've been forever. Right? I mean, before I was in the band, that's where they, they wrote their first stuff. Uh, I think even the, even the live, uh, tracks on opiate you know there's two live tracks on that they were recorded in the room next door you know they were having a party literally in the building next door so well yeah when you told me it's the same building from i think the 80s that shocked me because you know there's a lot of construction things change i'm in new york city every week the block is like raised and rebuilt with something else (laughs) nothing stays the same so i'm just i'm just really surprised that it's the same building yeah i mean like literally they 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 built huge apartment blocks all around us it's kind of like that movie up you know where he, he won't get rid of his house yeah. uh, uh and uh all we had to do is you know as people kind of encroached into our area um we started getting you know complaints about the noise so at some point we had to kind of build the room within the room and completely soundproof it rather than move away you know so we've yeah we've uh we've been there forever but the great thing is we know everybody we know the police we know the people that make you know deliver carpets next door we know the armenian guys that uh you know whatever are cutting steel and you know we we, we they make us coffee and we we basically know everybody um so it's you know there's a lot to be had for for for, for keeping your area together, you know, just, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's pretty, it's pretty grungy, you know, it's pretty grungy. It's right in the thick of it, but, um, it was worse when I moved there. It was quite a bad time in the, you know, the beginning of the nineties, there was a lot of like shooting stuff happening there at the gas station across the street. And like, we'd literally, we'd sit on the roof and Danny would go, come up on the roof and let's, you know, we go up on the roof and drink tequila and like watch the the madness happen below on the street. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, I guess now it's more of a, there's a lot of homelessness and stuff like that, but, uh, the, the violence seems to be not quite so bad as when I, when I moved out there, but it's not in a, in the nicest part of town, let's say. Well, I want to talk more about Tool because I'm fascinated by the lead up to Fear Inoculum, which was your first new album in 13 years, but we're going to leave the people with a cliffhanger and shift gears for a minute to Empty Void, Mm -hmm. who just put out an excellent new record, Matters Not, Part 1. So you originally met Peter Mohammed, the other half of Empty Void, at a fest in Germany in 2002, yes? Yeah, that's correct. I think it was uh, Rockin Park or Rockin Ring, one of those two in Germany. Big festival. And, uh, yeah, I literally, we, we just, we, I think we headlined the festival and, you know, I'd had a few beers. I was like going to my bus and, uh, I ran into this guy who was, you know, he basically was giving me his music. He, you know, he said, Oh, Hey, that was, hi, my name's Peter. And, you know, he gave me a CD and I just, for some reason, I just stood there and chatted with him. Like we got on really instantly, you know, and then following that, I, I, uh, got on the bus and i listened to his music it was sweet noise album and it was all 
it was heavy. I really liked the, the music, but it was also, he was singing in Polish, you know, and it was just really fascinating to me. And we just carried on uh, communicating, basically, kept in touch. Um, and uh, that's, yeah, that was the beginning of our friendship. How long was it before you actually started writing music together? Quite a long time. I mean, he eventually, probably a few years later, maybe three or four years later, he actually decided to come out to LA and, uh, you know, just to, to, he's very, you know, adventurous. He's gone on sort of crazy trips through his life. Um, he's gone to South Africa, all over the place in Europe. And this particular time he decided just to come out to LA, not to, to work with me intentionally, but while he was out there, um, it was just, you know, it kind of naturally happened that we carried on communicating and then hanging out. And at some point we were just like, we got to, we got, we talked about making music, but then now that he was there, we, we couldn't stop ourselves. You know what I mean? So, um, I just moved into a new house and I was trying to put a studio together. So we were kind of doing that together. I bought a, a, a proper mixing board and, uh, I didn't know what I was doing at all. <laughs> and, and he <laughs> he actually had quite a good clue about it. So that was also an impetus to kind of like make progress on, on actually making music together. Um, yeah, and that's, how, that's really how it started. Was that your house in uh, Topanga Canyon? Yes. Yeah. That studio on that property? Yeah. The Garden of Whedon. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what was the process for the first record, Nothing's Matter? Was it just you guys together in a room chopping it up? Yeah, I mean, he was staying in a, in a, with a, with a, he was actually staying with a guy called Steve Duda, who worked for Dead Mouse, I believe, which is ironic, because I ended up getting really, really into that music. But Peter was literally, like, helping make bass drum noises you know for this guy he was living with almost to pay the rent you know so i'd go over there and um we just started making it up you know i mean i think the first record was very experimental i did a, a, a one of these podcasts with peter the other day and i like the way he describes it as being very personal you know it was just sort of like you'd make demos when you're you know when you're when you're younger you make you know demo recordings but they're not actually supposed to be shared with the world you know but we ended up yeah. just kind of developing enough stuff that we put it together into an album we never actually released it um, until very recently you know when we were when we were getting ready to release this new one which we we believe was was worthy kind of thing so we finally put it up on on uh, the streaming platforms but uh yeah like like peter says it was more of a personal exploration between the two of us you know mm -hmm. but but we also we collaborated with a bunch of people too and uh it was almost like people if someone was in town or at my house i just got them to do something and, and it made it on the album you know <laughs> i was like all right you know we, we we got brent hines from mastodon to do a ripping guitar solo on one of the tracks just because he was hanging out at my house you know after a show one night um and i was like here Grab, you know, I just put a guitar in his lap and said, "Okay, go." I was like, "Go," <laughs> and he just he played through it, and then he wanted to re-record it, and I wouldn't let him. I was like, "No, that's it. You're done." You know, so that was really uh, the, the the sort of process on that was really fun. Uh, so, so it's, it, that first album, uh, 
nothing's matter it's 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 very precious to us you know i can feel the love and and like uh, it's got such great memories to me when i when i listen to any part of it uh but like i said it's more it was more of a personal thing i mean it's almost now that you, anyone can listen to it it's just a sort of a uh, uh you know a uh insight into what was going on in our sort of development music group so yeah that's amazing yeah and for the new record matters not part one now pandemic hits we're stuck at home and this is how you and peter began writing for the new record yes yeah yeah well we we'd um obviously a lot of time passed i mean i was doing all kinds of stuff with tool and He's a very busy man in Poland. He, you know, he has a bunch of different projects. We worked on a few tracks together. Um, he did some stuff with other people, and he would ask me to if I could put a baseline on it. I think we did two or three things like that, um, which, you know, without knowing it, we were kind of preempting this kind of remote way of recording stuff. You know, so basically, when when we were all stuck at home. Uh, in during that time of the what we called the Roni, the COVID time, um, <laughs> we uh, yeah we we just started. I mean, we were always talking a lot. You know, we were always FaceTiming, and um, we, we were good friends at this point. Um, but it just naturally started to evolve into oh, let's do another record. You know, and let's uh, we started working on a track, and then it started. You know, I, I think we realised we were a lot more advanced than we have been in the past. Um, even though we were not in the same room anymore, um, it was kind of uh, elevated stuff, in our opinion. So uh, we very quickly decided that this is, you know, we need to really uh, take the ball by the horns and, and like, take this seriously. And, uh, and, uh, and at some point, we had you know, more than enough to 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 say that it was reasonable to to make an album. Did you have experience with uh, recording by yourself and working digitally and sending stuff back and forth already? Not really, not really. I mean, it, it took a lot of uh, coaching from Peter. He's quite, uh, you know, tech savvy. Um, he's also really good uh, engineer. He's great with the recording equipment. Um, so we just kind of coach each other through it. But I mean, like anything, once you're doing it and you're really involved and you're committed, you just get better and better at it, you know. Um, and uh, even now, if I, you know, I've been out on the road, when I get home, it's going to take me a little while to get my chops back together, you know, and like Pro Tools and uh, how do you, you know, the shortcuts and all that stuff and, and, and like how the mixing desk works. Um, but once you get really in the groove, it starts to come back to you and you get comfortable again and you start to be able to be creative with it you know it takes a little bit of a, a, a learning curve to just get 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 that back but yeah once you once you're once you're there doing it um it's it's pretty quick to become fluid right right well yeah the the new record is excellent i really like it particularly this last song magma Fishing. That's the track with your narration, some poetry you wrote, and there's the bass line under it that's really good. And that's the thing that's great with a band like MT Void is you can put everything into it. Like you can put poetry you wrote, you can put different media, yeah. different sounds. You can just create an entire world within this record. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the whole idea was, you know, Empty Void was like, I write it in, in a, a journal. I got, you know, I've got pages and pages and pages of band names, but I was thinking about MTV and how it doesn't show music anymore, you know, and it doesn't like show anything to do with music. And I was like, and something popped in my head, empty void, you know, it's like a, it's like an, an empty space basically, which is, you know, a, a blank canvas. It has all this potential to be filled with creativity. So that's, you know, like you're saying that the, 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 the possibilities in empty void is that we could do whatever we want i mean we, the first album i sent peter uh, oh no he was in la but i recorded my dogs walking down the stairs you know the sound of their claws <laughs> on, on the on the wooden stairs and uh he put that on the album somehow you know and uh, ended up like saying all their names and stuff which is amazing because they're you know a lot of them are gone now but um yeah they're just just uh it's it's supposed to be very experimental it's an outlet for all the things that we you know maybe don't do with other people you know so uh peter keeps saying that he's really excited to do more stuff like the first track and the last track you know like more kind of soundtracky stuff or a soundscape um he's obsessed with making crazy noise out of you know whatever is around him he'll record stuff and then uh kind of bit crunch it and and stretch it and make it into these kind of soundscapes so uh yeah we're fascinated by by being experimental basically and just using really w what's around you to make you know art and music and and, and like we're, we're we're really interested in we're not quite sure what it's going to be but like the whole, whole idea of empty void being some kind of like creative portal you know where we're there's more and more collaborations and there's art going on and there's poetry and um we we haven't quite figured out how it's going to work but that's sort of uh the aspiration i was wondering if there was an mtv connection there because of you know mt void that's got to be kind of crazy for you right because you lived through the pinnacle of the MTV era of music videos, and we go to MTV to see what we like, and then we go to the concert, and that's just all gone now. It's completely different. Yeah, I mean that was really the idea. I was, you know, I've been talking about it the last few days, but like the the it was amazing MTV. You know what I mean? Like the the, the music in the nineties, uh, even at you know the end of the eighties, you were like everybody had it on all the time because it was the coolest thing on the tv you know it's like yeah. oh my god the music was so great and the videos were just amazing people were coming up with this stuff each one got better every day like you were literally on the edge of your seat waiting to hear what was happening next or see what was happening next so yeah it's it's uh it's strange how that era kind of faded and, and passed but uh i guess that's you know that's just the nature of the beast, you know? Exactly. Has MT Void played any gigs? No, we've never played a live gig. Um, we've, you know, it's it's very much a creation uh, of the studio. Um, it's got layers and layers and layers that were only created because we were able to do it in the studio. You know what I mean? We didn't ever write a song and play it with, with anyone. Um but we've talked about it. We, we're getting more and more excited about it, actually, of, of ways that we could present it. 
Um, I mean, even a lot of the, the the stuff I did on on the albums is kind of chopped up, and it's little pieces from here, pieces from there, and it's kind of a a, a, a piece of uh, a, like a painting, you know, with all these different uh, different colors and different brush strokes. Um, so we'd have to figure out a way to actually present it. But uh, interestingly enough, uh, my friend Tristan Schoen from Author and Punisher. Do you know that? Yes. Those guys? Yes, I've had him on the show. Oh, yeah. oh great. So he's... Uh, They're friends of mine. Oh, good. Yeah, I love Tristan. And, and he uh, he wants to make me a machine. As you know, he, he plays himself live um, and he presents his stuff with these kind of industrial weapons of noise you know which which yeah. allow him to kind of perform these uh you know it, it's uh, uh electronic music basically it's made inside the box but he's able to perform it and present it with that uh method so he offered to he's offering to make me a machine so i suddenly put two and two together the other day i was talking to peter and i said oh i think i might have a way into this you know if we can figure out what tristan what machine we need for you to present your part of the music. And I can, you know, obviously I'd stand there and play bass or whatever. We might need a drummer, um, something like that. But so, so we're, we're trying to figure it out, you know, and uh, it's an exciting prospect. The potential's there. Um, the more material we've got, the better, you know, so there's no rush, but yeah, we'd love to do that. Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. Because those machines Tristan builds are just, one of a kind. That's a question I wanted to ask you. How did you hook up with, uh, how did Tool hook up with Author and Punisher for that tour? Um, I believe Danny, Danny turned me on to that. Um, he just said, you've got to hear this guy. He's a, uh, I think he lives down in Orange County, but he's sort of a local California guy. And somehow Danny got wind of it and played it to me. And then I'm a big fan of that, like dark kind of shoegazy, uh, music that he does um so i immediately loved the music um and it just ended up being we take it in turns to, to pick the support for our tool tours um so at some point it was my choice and i just i was like i want that guy to come out with us um and uh yeah it was it was a total success i was like whoa i mean his the setup and the, the performance is really intense um it wasn't what i expected at all it was way more legitimate it sounded a bit janky you know this guy's like like it sounded almost like a one-man band you know where he's like hitting bits of tinfoil and stuff and it wasn't at all it was like so heavy um i actually ended up uh playing on uh on a track with him live i always like i love to take the opportunity to collaborate with people that support us while that, you oh, know, that's amazing. Yeah, and then, uh, and then I, I, I did a track with him after the fact as well uh, on on his new uh, his last album. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I was blown away when I first saw him. He has his arm in that thing, and you see him like slamming the drum beat while he's singing and doing everything else. It's like the real deal. Yeah, it really is the real deal. I mean, it's all you know. It's it's a really genius way of presenting that kind of music in real time. You know. Um, and, and, and not easy to pull it off on your own, you know? So I think, uh, that was a massive success. I think a lot of our fans were really turned on to him. So Tool put out 10,000 Days in 2006, another classic record, but then there was a 13 year gap leading up to Fear 
inoculum. I'm really curious about what went on during this time. Were, were we writing the whole time? Were we busy with other things? Like, what was going on? You want me to tell you what happened for 13 years? <laughs> well, not like, not, not like every day, but like, was the band talking? Were we okay? Were we writing well, for I think, most of that time? Or I think we were, um, you know, a lot happened. There's a lot of, you know, should should we carry on? Should we do this? Should we do that? Like Maynard was doing other things. People had other bands. Um, we tried to write a record and we, you know, we, we failed or we, or we didn't like it. So we kind of like put it away. I think there was one year where we did one gig. We did one festival one year um, in uh, Phoenix, I think it was. And I was like, wow, this is really weird. You know, <laughs> like we just got together. <laughs> we just got together and did one show, you know. Um, That's wild. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, at some point, I think we we never stopped trying and sharing ideas and stuff. But at some point, it just started to become cohesive again. And, um, you know, we, we picked up some of the ideas that were, were really good. Uh, we had a bunch of new ideas um, that we kind of injected into each other, and then, and 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 then you know Maynard was available again and and hungry again and reacting to our ideas. So we just sort of, you know, like I mean, I I literally woke up one day. I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> what day is it? It's like you know when you say it's thirteen years passed by. I I can't imagine what happened during those years. I mean, so much stuff that I can't even remember happened, you know, but, uh, at some point there we were. And, uh, you know, Adam gets frustrated by it because it didn't really take 13 years to write a record. Do you know what I mean? Like it just, that's the gap between the records. So it's not like we were trying for 13 years. It just, just, that's the, the way the time passed. And, uh, and not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, look how it worked out when we finally released it. We released all our other stuff on iTunes. It was kind of epic. <laughs> was like, wow. Oh yeah, I remember. I still remember the lead up to that record. And you know, is it happening? Is it not happening? There was a lot of a uh, lot of excitement. Yeah, I mean, uh, people used to ask us all the time. So when's you know, when's the new record happening? And we'd always say, Oh, it's coming, it's coming. And people would go, Oh, all right, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> But finally, you know, it happened and it basically shut down the whole system. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, like, I mean, and then, you know, it's fear inoculum when the pandemic happened. It was all, it was all very crazy, really. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, it's, uh, it, it's amazing that all that time produced, you know, eventually something of, of beauty that, like, right now I'm enjoying for the first time i mean like we played last night and i'm i'm playing you know descending or numa and it's like the first time i played it you know um and it's like a, it, it's alive you know so i guess some things need that kind of gestation period you know yeah how much uh, stuff do you end up throwing away like did you said you had a whole album but you didn't really like it did any of that stuff end up making it to the final fear inoculum like tell us about some of that process yeah definitely i mean like we we didn't we didn't we don't throw anything away so there's a lot of stuff that from uh even from previous albums that we try and uh make perhaps best way to say is like marry it with new ideas you know so you'll have a new riff or a beat or something 
and you're we're trying to make it into a song and then we'll pull out all these things out of the out of the trunk you know that we we haven't used on previous albums that the riffs that are just ingrained in our in our muscle memory you know and we'll see if they work with this new idea and it's amazing how that happens a lot you know like there'll be it, it's the missing key a lot of the time is something that you already had um so we don't throw anything away and i think we all pretty much remember everything <laughs> that that is good you know so we have we have recorded versions of everything too you know when our, our phones are full of stuff and all that kind of kind of thing but um yeah it was really uh, there's a lot of old stuff on fear inoculum that was married with new stuff um and i think maybe that was uh maybe we had to wait a while to come up with the compliment to some stuff we already had you know um and some and sometimes that just takes living you know it just takes life to 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 come up with something that's that's worthy so that was sort of the process and in the lead up to fear inoculum i read a quote from you where you said you know you had to get through some differences find ways of communicating better and not let the whole thing fall apart at times were there times where you questioned maybe not doing the band or were relationships strained at any time was there like personal things you guys had to work through over those years absolutely i mean you know we're we're all best mates you know we're we're best mates and best mates go through hard times you know what i mean or uh, you know sometimes we say we're more like brothers you know we're more like family so you can't really you can't get rid of each other <laughs> but you, you you know you you've got to work through your differences sometimes and life happens too you know there's a lot of personal growth and experiences that that go into to life so you know we all have to appreciate that fr from each other's point of view um so yeah there were there were definitely ups and downs but i mean we still have that if we have we have issues we have to work through them um and i think that you can feel that strength of character in the music you know it's really it's really uh you know uh apparent in the music that struggle and that tension you know i think that's why we're a good band because we don't give up on that you know we work through all that stuff um and i think live it's like that too you know talking about danny making stuff up it's like he's always like keeping things on the edge um and pushing each other you know that's the best part about the music is there's this big lead up and then the big explosion at the end and that, that's kind of like you guys too it sounds like yeah yeah i think it, it's, it's very figurative in the music you know like the the, the builds and the crashes and the uh you know the climaxes and the kind of the low points the real like there's some real like heavy sort of uh, droney depressing periods you know in the music and then it kind of lifts you back up and uh yeah it's very emotional i mean uh, i love beans bag because it's it's got emotion to it uh it's got a real interesting character and at this point, the character of an old old man, <laughs> an old wise man. <laughs> exactly. But that's that's great that you guys can stick together and work through whatever it is that's going on, because that's what makes a really great band. It's been the four of you for a very long time now. I mean, you're still playing in the same building in Hollywood. I'm sure yeah. that building has a lot of great energy permeating there. It's our stories. It's our experiences. 
and we stick together and we work through these things and it, it just comes through in the music. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mate. You hit the nail on the head. How do you guys communicate? Like, is there, is there a tool group text? Oh yeah. 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 A lot of texting these days, a lot of emails. Uh, yeah. Maynard sends us the set list every day on a group text before we get to the venue. So we're, we're ready for that. But uh, yeah, we do a lot of texting, not so much phone calls anymore. I think texting's an easier way of being kind of succinct and getting to the point. Um, but then obviously, you know, we get together in person and uh, that's a whole different thing, you know. Is it all business in the group text or does anyone ever fire out a movie recommendation oh, or no, anything like that? total pranks and... and, and, and preposterous prittle prattle <laughs> <laughs> so what's next for tool now we're on this tour we're doing great things have we begun to write mu- new music or even think about that yet yeah we have we we've had a stab at it uh perhaps uh beginning of last year um and there's some great stuff but it wasn't quite happening you know we weren't quite in the you know people were having kids and all kinds of stuff was going on so we weren't quite ready to fully like dive in but we've shared a bunch of ideas we have loads of cool stuff i mean honestly we've got some really badass stuff i was uh playing a danny had a beat the other day at soundcheck and it was just epic you know we were really excited about that that was actually like a, a creation on the road that he was just coming up with um but yeah we we've started and we're ready to you know we're going to get back to it um, probably I would say by next summer, we're going to be pretty busy next, uh, spring. Um, we're going to go to Europe as well after we finish our U S leg. So after we've had a little, uh, you know, a decent nap, <laughs> we'll be back and, uh, uh, we'll get back to the loft, get back to old Cecil B. DeMille's stable block and we'll, uh, we'll start hammering it out. We've all talked about it. We're all excited to do a new album. So, uh, that is the intention. That's great. That's great. So w- will all four of you be hashing it out in the room together? Like will Maynard be working on vocals while you guys are working on arrangements or does he come in later? Like how does it work? Yeah, he normally comes in later. He lets us, you know, get our, get the cobwebs out. You know, I mean, we t- we, we were pretty laborious when we work. You know, we'll play the same riff for about a week and just like muse on it. And, and and wonder how it could be tweaked and 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 he's you know he's such a busy guy he's got so many things going on that it's just worked out where he goes out and does his own thing and uh, you know he's making wine or in his other bands or you know on, on his websites or whatever he's got record shot he's got all kinds of stuff going on and he's just naturally that way he likes to be really busy so so we've all agreed and figured out over the years that it's better if we just hash it out and until we've got something presentable, you know, that we're not going to mess with anymore. Um, because he tends to have a, his first thought is, is very sincere and he likes to stick with that, you know, as far as vocals. So he'd, he'd like it to be developed to a degree that we're not going to change it too much again, you know, before he commits a vocal to it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. All right, so listen, everybody, Tool has new music coming. We're going to start working on it next year, so we might not have to wait another 13 years. Right, well, Justin? Well, we can't do that. We're, we're too old. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Time is running out. Yeah. So. And we definitely want to check out the new record from MT Void, Matters Not Part 1. 
Now, that's exciting news to hear that Tristan might be making machines for you guys. Maybe we'll get some kind of live, crazy AV experience, right? That would be cool. Yeah, it would be uh, lots of yeah visuals as well involved. Uh, our friend Peter's good friend, Vahan Bago, who designed our actual Empty Void logo. Um, we did some NFTs with him. I don't know if you saw them, but he makes sculptures and you know, we got lots of potential ideas for a live show, you know, be very visual and industrial. And yeah, if Tristan comes through with this, it will really uh, propel us into that realm, you know. So I'm excited about the potential and excited about doing another record too. We've got a lot of ideas for Empty Voids. So. Yeah, when I heard it, that's what I thought, like uh, for the future, soundtracks uh, for film or TV or video games or something, that would be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd love to do a soundtrack for a film. I mean, I, I, we, we haven't, you know, hopefully this will inspire some conversations about that. It's all going to happen after this episode comes out, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Justin... I've been listening to you for a very long time and I appreciate everything you do. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Keith. It was a real pleasure. I love chatting with you. And there you have it. Justin Chancellor. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Excellent conversation. Super nice guy. You know, I never imagined that I would have somebody from Tool on the show, but here we are. Still remember hearing them for the first time. I saw the video for Sober on MTV. I must have been in, I don't know, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, something like that. And I was so captivated by the video, I just went right to our local record store and bought Undertow. And I really dug that. And then I bought Enema, Enema, not sure how that one is pronounced, but I, it's kind of trippy. I was just at my parents' house earlier today and I went upstairs into the cassette tapes to grab something and I saw that copy of Enema that I bought all those years ago. And I was thinking about how I was going to come back here tonight and record this last part of the show. And wow. Yeah, really great to talk to Justin and hear all about Tool, his new band, MT Void, great stuff. Pretty incredible that they're still playing in the same practice space after all these years. That's unheard of because, you know, construction happens, things get torn down, things change constantly. So it was just a lot of really interesting tidbits in that conversation. So great, great stuff. So thank you so much, Justin, for coming on the show. So let's check in, huh? How are we doing. If I sound a little hoarse, there's a reason for that. My new band demoed some songs this past weekend, and the vocal duties in this band are pretty intense. But I gotta tell you, the demos are sounding fantastic, and I'm really excited to show you guys this music when it's time. But it's not time yet, so hang in there. I did that. It was also the busiest work week of my entire life. So much going on. Everybody's cramming everything into the end of the year. But we got the work done, everything out the door, and then I was able to relax a little bit Friday, which was much needed. Friday night, I saw Spotlights. Spotlights played the Mercury Lounge in Manhattan, and it was also Chris Enriquez's birthday. So I went to that gig with my younger sister, who was in town, 
and I got to say hi to Mario and Sarah and Chris. And they're just one of the best live bands out there. Honestly, if you have not seen them before, you have to go see them. It's so fun to watch them just completely win over the crowd anytime they play, no matter where they play. And they're just super heavy, super groovy. Can't say enough nice things about that band. If you haven't heard their record that came out this year, Alchemy of the Dead, check it out. It's one of my top 10 records of this year. There's a little sneak preview, huh? We're going to be doing the top 10 records again at the end of this year. And Spotlight is in mine. Great, great band. So awesome to go to another show. So I did that Friday night. Spent all day Saturday in the studio. We got mostly everything done. I'm going to go back next week to finish vocals for one of the songs. And then today, Sunday, was another busy day. I went and visited my dad in the hospital down in Philadelphia. He had a major surgery for colon cancer, and he's okay. He's okay. He made it through. He is in the recovery process. So he's going to be going home tomorrow. So I've been communicating with my family a lot and orchestrating him getting home safely. So shout out to my mom and my older sister and my younger brother, and my younger sister. Shout out to my whole family for us banding together and helping out my dad and just getting closer in this whole process. So that's been nice as well. Crazy week. Everything just hit at once this past week, and it's pretty wild. So let's close the show with the new scene community hour. I've got a new email here from Charles Heck, who is the guitarist of Shady Side. Now, Shady Side, as you may remember, is Michael Malarkey's first band. Michael Malarkey of Burial Clouds, who was on episode 176 of this podcast. Charles says, Hey, Keith, this is Chip Heck, guitarist from Shady Side out of Dayton, Ohio. First of all, I just wanted to say I love the show. I listen all the time. I'm jumping around randomly between different episodes. I'm currently going back to the beginning and really enjoying hearing Mike Shaw and Vadim and Chris Hornbrook talk about all the touring and hanging out you guys did with my boys in 12 tribes back in the day. Shit is great. Definitely caught this day forward when they came through Dayton back in the day and bought the Transient CD from them. Wow, 12 tribes. Yeah, we were friends with them back in the day. I remember there was this one time where they were staying at my friend's house and they had to leave. Like something was going on, they couldn't stay there. So they came over my house and they were hanging out. And I think my mom made breakfast for them. And they were a great band. They were a great band. They were always good to see back in the day. Really nice and really nice to hang out with too. I got to go back and listen to their discography again. I haven't heard them in a while. Hope they're all doing okay. Thank you, Charles, for writing me and thank you for supporting the podcast. And everybody, Check out the new Shady Side EP. It's called Higher Plans, and it just came out this year, featuring the great Michael Malarkey, who was on this show. And like I mentioned, he's also in a band, Burial Clouds, who put out a record this year. Check it out. It's all good stuff. And I really like Higher Plans. It's good, melodic, hardcore. I like what's going on here. I'll add a track from that EP to the new scene 2023 Spotify playlist all the recommendations, all the guests, everything. Well, I'm looking forward to shutting up for the night because my voice is shot and it's been a busy week and I am really tired. So thank you for joining me for this blockbuster episode. 
I'm back next week with another great, great, great conversation. You're going to love it. We are going to end the show with Magmaficient from the new MT Void LP. It's called Matters Not Part 1. I'm back next week with a new episode and a new guest. I'll see you then. A part of a part be placed in time. A piece to puzzle with others. Empty the action or a spaceless void. Any minimal animation slows actions. Full of force and aim to projection. Heading everywhere. Nothing's matter. Careless constant. Perfectly breathless. Bending the time to perfect hiccups. Bracing myself against the oncoming surprises. Ready for nothing I've known before. Afraid I'll miss a beat. My notes are melodic and uniquely imperfect. <laughs>